The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. The uh, last, I guess you could technically say, preseason Bootleg Football Podcast, because we're talking about season predictions today uh, with the the first Sunday of the regular season just hours away at this point. And we are going to be recapping as well the uh, the Tampa and Dallas uh, season opener, the Thursday night game that just happened. We're recording this before that game, but we're going to kind of slip in a little game recap after that game uh, right at the top of this episode. So we're going to have a little bit of time traveling here. But we wanted to be able to recap the season opener and then kind of recap our division picks, talk about who we think are going to go to each conference championship, and uh, hopefully... Uh, talk about who we think are going to win the Super Bowl as well out of those conference championship picks too. So uh, pretty pretty loaded episode. Uh, but before we get into all that, EJ, my wonderful co-host, buddy, how you doing? What are you drinking? I'm good. I'm excited. Uh, you know, not only because the season's kicking off in, well, <laughs> already kicked off by the time you're all watching this, but just about to kick off. And uh, really quickly, I'm going to come down and join you in Las Vegas, and we're going to get to go to the Ravens Raiders game on Monday. So, I'm 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 psyched. I think everybody that does this for a living is is pretty psyched right now. It's it's time. It's it's real. Um, what am I drinking? I have uh, a first a beer from. Um, not super local brewery, but a brewery down in Washougal, Washington, which is down in southern Washington, right by the Columbia River. Uh, some people might be familiar with the motocross track that's there that holds a motocross outdoor national. But it is called 5440 Brewing, and this is their Red Zeppelin Amber Ale. Um, mm. I'm excited about it uh, because they dry hop it with a healthy dose of Amarillo hops and um, so it's got a multi profile, but that Amarillo, when you dry hop it later in the process, is going to give it probably a pretty clean finish. It's five, six by volume. So it's pretty drinkable stuff. Love the can art. Um, like that it's a, a bit of a small town brewery that I haven't tried. They have several other beers. So that's always kind of like it's like when you read a book from a new author and then you find out they've written like five other things and you're like, oh, I like that. I'm going to try the other stuff. So I'm I'm excited to try a new beer. What do you have? Well, uh, <laughs> so I had a little adventure tonight <laughs> while I'm in Vegas. I, I I went to to Nobu. I'm staying at Caesar's Palace because I'm working with Caesar's all week uh, to kick off the NFL season. And so I went to Nobu because I talked to the general manager in Nobu yesterday, and I was like, "Hey, you guys have the largest whiskey bar." 
west of the Mississippi, at least Japanese whiskey bar west of the Mississippi, second largest in the country. Can I come, you know, film that as B-roll for this project? And he's like, sure, come on by before we open. Can and I then, come <laughs> film your whiskey bar, says the I did, whiskey I, lover. <laughs> I did not intend for this to happen. Oh, of course not. But one thing led to another. And I just start getting, they just start bringing me drinks. They they made me a sidecar with uh, the, like fresh yuzu juice. And um, they, they brought me a flight of sherry cast, sherry cask aged Japanese whiskey. There was an Akashi five year that was just unbelievable. And uh, I, I picked myself up some Starbucks on the way uh, back up to my room from that because I was like, if I get another drink right now and try to do a podcast, this episode is going to go radically different than what I intended. So I, I had my fill of Japanese whiskey. And thank you again to Nobu for uh, for really just giving me, honestly, one of the best meals of my life. Um, it I had never had, like, I'm not like much of a, a sushi guy. And so I'd never had sashimi before, believe it or not. And I feel like I can never have it again because I don't think it's ever going to be as good as Nobu sashimi. But yeah. uh, if yeah, you start crazy. with Nobu, sashimi is probably going to be largely downhill unless you, <laughs> I don't know, go to Tokyo. Um, you can find good sashimi. But if you start there, your frame of reference is pretty skewed. Yeah, it's I'm not even kidding. Like one of the one of the five best meals of my life. And uh, I forever grateful that things spiraled a little bit out of control before I came up to record this episode. So I, I just got my coffee now to kind of get me back way, on the rails. This huh. is great. Have you had it before? No. No. Okay. First sip. Took a nice, big, full first sip after I let a little bit of air into it, and this is gorgeous. Like, Well, when I uh, when I come up to Seattle for week two, because you and I are going to Titans, Titans at Seahawks in... Uh, I guess a week from now, by the time this comes out, uh, we'll have to grab a sixer. Oh, Honestly, easy. I'm I'm, I'm going to be like stuffing a lot of beer in my suitcase coming back because I you can't should. get dead guy, dead guy ale like down. That, in, in that's so, weird. So Cal, to me, so. Anyways, we'll get you set up. We'll get yeah. you set up. So uh, first things first, because I know a lot of people are, are coming just for this. We're going to take a little break and talk about tampa hosting dallas do our little bit of a game recap there again we are recording this in the past but after the game tomorrow because we're recording this on wednesday night we'll do a little 15 20 minute segment and talk all about that game which i will roll right now well ej uh that felt like a playoff game and uh you know the team that won is the one that we expected to win but i did not expect the game to be that kind of, you know, knockdown, drag out, blow for blow affair. Um, th- there's no such thing as moral victories, but I'll be damned. That was pretty close. Uh, the, the Cowboys were absolutely not a pushover. They gave the champs all the smoke, everything they could handle. And barely, I mean, barely lost that game. And, and, and a couple things, if they just went the Cowboys way, honestly, if just a couple kicks went the Cowboys way in the first half. They might have won that game. So all the credit in the world to Dallas. Hell of a game. Like I said, had had playoff atmosphere. I felt like a late season game. It did not Absolutely. feel like it did not feel like a game out of the gate. Right. Yeah. Most we talked a lot in this podcast and and our last two podcasts about hey, first week and a lot of variants and takes a while to gel and eh, kind of not really. They both came out swinging. They traded punches. 
nobody got out to a big lead. They kept each other in sight pretty much the whole time, and it became pretty clear that, yeah, it's going to come down to the last possession. And that's, I would not say that's typical for for a season opener. So it felt like we were a couple months into the season with two well-oiled teams kind of running into each other and giving each other their best shot. And that's a fantastic opener. My my main takeaway is Dak Prescott, who we had not seen all offseason because at first he was recovering from the ankle, does like a couple days of training camp, strains his shoulder, and then, you know, didn't see him at all in the preseason. Saw him throw a little bit in like hard knocks and stuff like that, but we didn't actually get to see him play football until tonight. Threw the ball 58 times and his arm didn't fall off. To me, that's a good thing. To like the zip didn't seem quite the same, like compared. But to, it wasn't bad. It, but it wasn't bad. It wasn't that far off. That's what I'm saying. Like, no, and it was like I mean, 80, 85 percent, and that's good enough. Yeah, I mean, especially with his placement, because there were throws. There was a throw that he hit uh, Lamb on the sideline, and like <laughs> Lamb was already pinned up against the sideline. He already had his toes right there. He knew that he didn't have any more room to go. He had his arms out to the side, and Dak hit him right in the cradle. Like, yeah, uh, he uh, he didn't. He barely had to tense to like catch that ball. It like it sit sat right where you hold a football, and it was you know probably an eighteen yard you know out. You know, which is across the field. That's like, a hard NFL throw to make when you yeah, and it hit him bad wing, and it hit him in a spot about this big. So when yeah. you're throwing the ball that accurately. If it's a, if it has a little bit less fastball on it, but he threw some pretty flat balls down the middle too. Uh, you know, again, was it prime Dak? No, it wasn't prime Dak. But you're right. It 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 was easily good enough to win. It was it was more than enough to keep them in the game with arguably the best team in the NFL. And we can talk about, you know, yeah, losing Sean Murphy Bunting early on. Definitely did not help the secondary at all because they just started going after Jamel Dean over and over and over again. Um, you know, we could talk about the turnovers from the Bucks that, you know, gave the Cowboys some some pretty advantageous situations on offense as well. But just the the main thing that I wanted to see tonight was could Dak throw? And he could throw. And that to me just changed the entire outlook of not just the Cowboys, but the NFC East and the NFC as a whole. Because the Cowboys have enough firepower with even an 80% DAC that clearly they can play with anybody. Like, they are now officially, to me, a threat in the NFC. Because if they can go toe-to-toe with Tampa, they can go toe-to-toe with anybody. Yeah, I, I think we sort of keep our hats on about how good they're going to be down the stretch because, again, he looked good tonight. Is it going to last? Is he going to hold up? You know, week one has variants both up and down, and maybe this is their uptick variants. Maybe this is their their healthy variant. But it, their situation in Dallas reminds me a lot of the situation in Green Bay, right? Which is if you get your all-pro quarterback back, you're going to be just fine. In fact, you're going to be really good and pretty scary. And we've said that about the Dallas offense. Certainly, I think their offense might even be more loaded uh, in terms of number of playmakers than Green Bay's. They don't have anybody as good as Devontae. And, you know, I think Aaron Jones is is easily a great running back. But after that, the depth 
and Green Bay drops off a little bit. But it kind of doesn't matter because you got Aaron Rodgers, and he's going to put the ball on anybody. He's going to make Robert Tunyon look amazing. So same thing with Dak. We said this in our in our preview episode, right, that it's it's kind of as Dak goes, so go the Cowboys because after that it's it's like Cooper Rush and or Garrett Gilbert, and that is not the same thing. But all this talent is really keyed by Dak being able to stand back there and deliver those throws. He did that tonight. I'm with you. The Cowboys are a different team and a much more dangerous team when he did that. And they gave what is a very deep world champion team that brought everybody back everything they could handle down to the last minute. What do you make of, I I guess I can say, the, the dichotomy of Chris Godwin? Amazing play, amazing play, crucial mistake. Like it's it's been a theme recently. Like even going back to, to late last season, I know he he was playing with I think it was a wrist or a finger broken something in his in his hand. Um, but it's the the peaks are high and the valleys are low with Chris Godwin lately, and I don't really know what to make of it. Yeah, we talked about this a little before the show that. Godwin isn't over whatever was plaguing him last year. The offseason and training camp and whatever didn't didn't purge him of whatever demons he was he was dealing with because look, I love Chris Godwin. I think when he is together and playing his best ball, he's the best receiver on a team and that's with Mike Evans who's probably going to go to the Hall of Fame. And Antonio Brown who's one of Again, the best is, of his generation. You know, and Antonio Brown has purged his demons for the most part he is playing uh not entirely like the antonio brown of all but he is i'd say he's fully realizing his his late career potential he he is everything that he should be as a football player chris godwin is not and he wasn't down the stretch last year he had some troubling drops in key situations again he still came through made plays but he just he wasn't firing on all cylinders and he's not over that like he had some of that tonight he had again like you said a couple of good plays he had some drops that were not good he key fumble on a drive headed down to score a touchdown like right on the goal line cowboys recover take it out to about the 10 yard line he pushed off late in the game was it a push off opi Eh, i'm kind of glad they didn't call it but all all the cowboys fans sitting next to me in the sports book sure thought it was a push off well mina thought it was a push off (laughs) mina mina and and uh i think jeff schwartz are going back and forth about hey defensive backs are off balance in that situation and it's true they are but look he pushed off and they didn't call it and and they're letting him play so he makes a play there that's pretty crucial to to getting the bucks down into field goal range so again it's this high variance uh, high highs and oh man what was that and not just one in either category and it, it almost alternated per throw it wasn't like oh he started off rough and then he was good through the middle of the game and then he fell off at the end it was literally throw to throw you didn't know what you were going to get is he going to catch it is he going to drop it they kind of look like concentration drops uh but deep downfield he got hit right in the hands brady put the ball literally right on him right here and he just that he just didn't get it (laughs) and it was a late turn i know he was headed it was a sort of middle post he's down he saw it come over his shoulder he had to turn right put his hands up really quickly but literally the ball hit him square in the hands and he just flat out didn't catch it Uh, one one uh buccaneer though who had no dips this game and in fact was 
it was all peaks. There's no such thing as valleys for this guy. And that's Vita Vea, who, like, I know Aaron Donald is Aaron Donald and Chris Jones is Chris Jones. But if, if we're talking at the defensive tackle position, who is the best nose in the league? I cannot argue anyone other than Vita Vea. He is a monster among monsters. It's uh, it's like I'm watching a young Vince Wilford. You remember Vince like mid 2000s, like peak Vince when he was just unbelievably dominant. Uh, you know Albert Hainsworth before he got paid, just completely changed football games. That's Vita Vea, and he he showed it again tonight that when when he is at his best, offenses have to completely change how they play against the Buccaneers. Like Zeke ran like 11 times all night. And this was a close game. It was a one-score game for the majority of the time. They didn't even attempt to run the ball because they knew they couldn't because Vita Vea is on the field. He is such a game-changer that you don't really see that reflect in the box score, but very, very few defensive linemen, very few defensive players, period, change offenses like Vita Vea does. I think there are a bunch of guys in the league handful eight to ten guys in the league that change run games like he does but that's not all he does yeah. <laughs> right and and the bucks defensive line just in general played the run really well dallas got very little on the run at all they just didn't get very much movement they didn't get very much traction there weren't a lot of holes everything got snuffed out pretty quickly especially through the middle and that's Vea, but it was also the ends and, and sue and try and shrink and like they they collapsed on the interior run and just said nah you're gonna have to do something else they, they made a little bit of real estate to the edges but not enough to make running worthwhile but what Vea does that's different than those other guys that are stalwarts in the middle i'm thinking of guys like healthy eddie goldman right eddie goldman takes a three-yard box in the middle of the field and says go elsewhere <laughs> like Vea's doing that and when he's got a healthy Akeem Hicks and whatever like that's good but what Vea does that those guys don't do is just raw explosive power like anytime the Cowboys left one guy on him on oh. passing down he just mauled them it wasn't hand placement it wasn't get off it wasn't burst it was just i'm just gonna take you and like mush you back into deck and you see these guys just struggling to like even get a foot down they're trying to get a hand on him and they're just going backwards like this and it was consistent like that was not something he did once right when you look down and there was one guy trying to solo him up in pass protection he was crushing the pocket yeah like routinely right at the middle and we've talked about it over and over that middle pressure is a thing that just gets to quarterbacks because it gets there so quickly it's in their line of vision they then have to move one side or the other it, it sort of frees them up for shots by the edge rushers coming in and when that guy's 347 he's a rare athlete at 347 because he's got all that power, but he can move too. And he's he's big enough, tall enough, long enough that those strides are getting to the quarterback quickly. And it's just disorienting to see a guy that's, you know, 325, who's paid to stop people, like on skates, falling into your lap like that. And Vea can do that. And there's not a lot of guys around the league that have that just like 
full-on caterpillar bulldozer power to just blow guys away one-on-one consistently and put them in the quarterback's lap, and Vea can do that. I think it was uh, Daniel Jeremiah when he was coming out of school who said, I got through three quarters, and I just wrote down, he's Haloti. Because <laughs> yeah. DJ scouted Haloti Nada when he was coming out, and he's like, same dude. Same exact dude. And I don't disagree after seeing what he's done in the NFL. He is he's just a a phenomenal football player. Uh one of the very best defensive players in the entire league. And uh on on the Bucks defense in general, yeah, the DBs struggled a little bit here and there. Carlton Davis had a couple nice plays. I think he got flagged a couple times. One of them was a little bit ticky tack for me. But the Bucks front seven came to play, and I do feel like on a couple crucial drives. They were the difference. Um, but yeah, o- overall, just a, a fantastic game. Tom Brady is still Tom Brady. The offensive line for the Bucks is still the offensive line. The weapons are still the weapons. Still a great team that did not play their best game and still won, which to me is encouraging if I was a Bucks fan of like, hey, we turned the ball over a bunch. We stalled a bunch of times and we still beat a team that could very easily win their division. And same thing for the Cowboys. It's like, man, they didn't play their best game. They missed a couple kicks. You know, they they had a couple really awful missed opportunities on offense. Not necessarily Dak's fault, just things that happen in a football game. And, and they very easily could have won too. So that's why I feel like this just felt like a playoff game between two, um, I don't want to say equally matched, but similarly talented teams. And I don't know, it, it kind of feels like we might get to see that one again. I, I have a feeling we might. It's it's possible. Depends on how Dak hangs in there for sure. Um, like most teams, there's there's some injuries that could could change that really quickly. But I think the most um, the thing that was kind of most energizing for me about Dallas was balance. Right. It was great that Dak came out and threw the ball. That was kind of necessary. Without that, we're talking about a very different team. He did do that. But that was just the offense, and that's really what people have been focusing on because it's the stronger unit of the two on that team, and last year the defense was really bad, right? It didn't play nearly as well or nearly uh, up to the level of the talent that they've invested on that side of the ball. And tonight, defense made plays at all three levels, Yeah. right? They got pass rush. Their linebackers made a bunch of plays. Leighton Vander Esch made a play. Their secondary made some really key plays. They were super tight. We talk about a game of inches. Um, you know, even on the touchdown of the corner that Brady threw, um, or not Brady, that Dak threw to the corner, Ross Cockrell was like, his coverage wasn't bad. His hand missed that ball by four inches? Five? I think that was the one to, uh, to Amari. Right in the corner. Uh, right? Yeah, on Little the seven, loop route yeah. to the corner. And... Cockrell was he wasn't even a half step behind like literally he had his arm in his gut and he he missed the ball by this much and there were a lot of plays like that Diggs made a play for the Cowboys where again if he didn't touch him the Bucks receivers going the other way there's nobody behind him but he got his fingertips on the ball right stuttered it Evans couldn't reach out and get it like they Dallas made plays on defense and that felt very different like it wasn't the offense scoring points and then going just hold them guys just don't let them score too fast like the defense was threatening and again not at the same level as the bucks i'm I'm with you that these are not two equals but dallas played 
solidly. And again, didn't make the most of every opportunity, just like the Bucs. They missed opportunities on both sides of the ball, but they still played a solid game and took Brady and the Bucs literally to the last minute. And that, to me, was surprising. That balance out of defense, uh, out of Dallas's defense, was not something I was expecting. And that's a, that's just a really good indicator for them moving forward that it's they're not because teams that play out of balance don't go deep into the playoffs, right? You can't you can't have a major weakness you're dragging along. And if if both sides of the ball play reasonably equally well, that team's good. It's going to do some things. They're absolutely going to threaten in their division for sure. All they were missing last year was an average defense. That that would have been the difference between starting out, you know, five and zero, and I think it was like one and four is what they ended up with uh, yeah. in the first five games. But hell of a game, massively enjoyable, at least for me as a neutral fan. Loved watching every second of it, and uh, I I think it's a it's a good table setter for a very good week one slate of NFL games. So that being said. Let's get back to our regularly scheduled programming. All right. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that little chat about the Bucks and or Cowboys winning that game. I'm assuming it's Bucks, but hey, it's the NFL. You never know. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to rest on week one. It's yeah. week one. You, you'd never really like I I'm, I'm putting in a whole bunch of parlays for week one and I just know I'm going to lose all my money because you can never predict. Like, remember when, when Jacksonville beat Indy week one last year? I say this every year, and I I feel like I just this is one of those convictions that gets stronger with me the more the older I get. Is week one is always a shit show, always right? They're just random results. Like say the Cowboys blow the Bucks out of the water. I don't think it's going to happen, or I don't think it happened, but something <laughs> like that occurs, right? And people go off. People overreact to week one, both positively and negatively, every year. And it's like everybody's working the kinks out. We have a shorter preseason. I know we have more joint practices, but it's different. It's different when it's live. When the when the lights go on and it counts, things are different. And weird stuff happens week one everywhere. Like I would say two-thirds of the result are like week one influenced. <laughs> that are just like wouldn't happen any other time and typically doesn't. It does roll over into week two. It lessens. Maybe one third of the results are still like, and people start to freak out and lose their minds. Oh my God, they're 0-2. Like they'll never win anything. And by the time you get a month in, which is four weeks, right? And then you get to week six, like you pretty much start to see who folks are. And some folks, you were surprised. You thought they were going to be good. We thought they were going to be good preseason. And turns out this mix of, team coaches scheme players is is a dog it's not working out and they're gonna have an uphill battle all season most things normalize three weeks four weeks in you start to see teams perform as they will for the rest of the season but week one there are always sort of a majority of what i'll call weird results and people look there's a lot of pent-up energy we talked about it. people lose their minds every week i thought they were going to the super bowl and they got beat by 15 points and you're like it's week one. Just let it go. It's a long season. We got 17 games this year. Like, let it go. It's okay. O Overreaction they Monday in week one is always by far oh, yeah. like the most ridiculous sports media day of the year. 
it is one of them for sure and it happens every year and you're like don't you remember just like you said last year when this happened or two years ago when this happened i mean there's there's examples going back forever this is not a new phenomenon so people just forget that week one is like don't you're i think you're either very brave or very crazy for making parlays on week one because good luck yeah, but it's also when I get like the crate, like the best odds in oh, terms sure. of payout. The, the odds makers haven't figured it all out either. I, nobody man. knows anything. Like yeah. nothing makes sense. Up you is can, down, you left can is slip right. Some by. So I, I appreciate that. But whew, yeah, good luck yeah. with that. So uh, first things first, we're going to recap. Uh, if you watched or rather paid attention to our division by division recap series all summer long, where we were doing these like two to three and a half hour, you know, breakdowns of every single division, you know, picking who we thought was was going to come out on top in every single division. So I'll kind of briefly recap who we picked over summer to win each division in the AFC and then the NFC. Uh, if we have any changes since those picks with new information, which we have a couple, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about those. But for the most part, if you really want to get like our nitty gritty predictions division by division, we have... I'm not even kidding. Lord of the Rings size episodes on every single division for you to to go listen to and check out. So uh, we'll start with AFC first here. Uh, in the West, we both pick the Chiefs to win. I don't think that's changing for either one of us, probably for the next, oh, I don't know, nine or ten years. Uh, in the South, I originally picked Jacksonville because every other team had some pretty major questions that has since given way to, I think, uh, maybe some even bigger questions about Jacksonville that I've got. So I've changed my pick to Tennessee. You had already picked Tennessee. So I think we're kind of uh, in, in lockstep there that we both like the Titans to win the South. The North, uh, we both picked the Browns to win that division. And then in the East was kind of our first uh, real disagreement that's held up. I picked the Dolphins and I am standing by that pick. And you picked the Bills, which is certainly uh, justifiable considering how ridiculous Josh Allen is and the coaching staff, the front office, overall depth of talent. Bills are a great team. Um, and then for me, I picked the Dolphins just because I, I happen to be a believer in Tua's development. I love the weapons they've drafted. I love the investment they've made on the line of scrimmage. I think their secondary is crazy. Just exceptionally talented team. And I, of course, love Coach Flo as well. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Dolphins and the Bills both finish um, – you know, within like one win of each other. And you could probably flip a coin on who wins the division. But uh, either way, I think the East is going to be very tight. So overall, uh, your thoughts on the AFC and you sticking with all of your picks this summer. Yeah, I feel like most of them hold up. If I if I have any wavering, might be on the Tennessee pick just because, again, they did change offensive coordinators. Arthur Smith moves on to Atlanta. Um they seem to have their defense is going to be better. So that's what I feel really good about with Tennessee is last year. The defense was, I don't want to say historically bad, but uncharacteristically bad, certainly for a Mike Vrabel coach team. I think they're going to rebound to the norm. I like a bunch of their defensive additions and I feel like their defense is going to be better. And look on offense, they weren't bad. Yes, they have a new coordinator. They didn't lose their quarterback. They didn't lose their running back. They added a huge weapon at wide receiver. Like, this is still a really good team that was pretty much contending for the division. So maybe the Colts, but boy, the Colts have to figure out the quarterback position. And if they don't, I 
don't think they topple the Titans. That that so, was the one thing kind of hold me back from picking. That's, yeah, I mean, Indy. I love for you know I love Frank Reich as a coach and and Chris Ballard as a GM has stacked that roster. It's it's very much like the Tennessee roster. It's very talented. They have a lot of players there, but look, it's a passing league, modern NFL. Got to have a quarterback, right? You got to have a quarterback that's going to play at a pretty high level if you're going to be the division leader, the division winner in what is a competitive division. Maybe. Maybe the Colts, but I really don't think so. I think it's Titans. They have the stability. Yeah, a little bit of a change at offensive coordinator, but they've added talent. Their defense is going to rebound. It, it feels like they're going to be tough to knock off the top of that division. So I'm good with that. Browns we both picked, and we feel really good about Kevin Stefanski in year two. Again, going to be more shorthand with that offense. They really cranked it up at the end of the year. I feel like they're going to pick up where they left off. Uh, Talent-wise, Andrew Berry is pretty much the model <laughs> for the NFL right now and what he's done in talent acquisition. Um, and as far as the East, again, Brian Dable coming back, the entire coaching staff being pretty stable and adding a few more weapons, Josh Allen having another year again, is he going to regress a little bit from his best ever career year? Probably that's still probably going to be good enough to win the East. Um, so I feel pretty good about the AFC. Uh, I think it might be a little bit easier to pick than the NFC. Maybe. We'll see at the end of the year how much egg I have on my face or how much egg we have on our faces. Um, but feel pretty solid about the AFC. Uh, knowing my luck, this means Jacksonville actually is going to win it after all, just because I switched my picks to Tennessee. Which, by the way, the, the reason I picked Jacksonville is because you look at their skill position talent and it's absolutely loaded. Unfortunately, they've lost Travis Etienne since I made that pick. Uh, but it seems like he was going to be more of a change of pace back for them anyway, and that James Robinson was still the guy. So it's not that big of a hit, all things considered, but it is a hit. Um, I think they have some young pieces on defense that I like. Like, I, I'm really high on Jacksonville's future, but I just, throughout the preseason, I, I didn't see enough things from the offensive line where I was like, yeah, I, I feel good about this. It, it kind of felt like all of their quarterbacks, like not just Trevor Lawrence, but like even like their depth guys were just getting massacred. And I'm like, if your starting five is just okay, and if they get hurt, the guys behind them are even worse. I don't know. I, I felt like their offensive line was so thin that I just couldn't quite pull the trigger yet on Jacksonville. Give them like a couple more drafts and I think they'll be fine. Yeah, I with Jacksonville, it's more just about rookie quarterback which, look, I think Trevor's going to be fine. But rookie quarterback, rookie head coach. You take either one of those things, right? Veteran quarterback and a rookie head coach takes a while to gel. You know, uh, rookie quarterback and veteran head coach, like, you just mix those. Nope, you got rookie and rookie, and they're both going to be learning, and they're going to probably make mistakes at different times about game management on the coaching side. Trevor's going to be taking his lumps as a rookie starting quarterback, even if he is amazing. And we talk about this. I talk about this all the time. Justin Herbert was amazing last year. And the Chargers won how many games? Seven. Seven. Right. And Somewhere. he was amazing. He was better than pretty much any rookie quarterback pretty much ever in terms of statistics and had a very talented team. Right. He did not come into a, a team that was bereft of talent. And Jacksonville is not, you know, limited at the skill positions either they have so i'm with you they have so much potential but it's like all those moving pieces coming together and gelling with a rookie head coach and a rookie quarterback 
I just can't say they're going to jump out of the gate and win the division. Are they going to be dangerous for years to come? Again, I think like you with a couple more drafts, a few more offensive line pieces or a couple more offensive line pieces. Yeah. Yeah. That's not going to be a team I want to play, you know, next year, but this year it's hard for me to say, Oh yeah, they're going to, they're going to whoop because all these divisions, AFC, NFC doesn't matter. All these divisions there's an argument, you know, that at least two, sometimes three of the teams could legitimately win it without a, a miracle moonshot, right? That's a flex of like greater than 50% based on a couple of bounces, a couple of games, a couple of performances, a couple of injuries, right? It, the NFL wants what used to be eight and eight, and I guess they probably now want nine and eight, <laughs> 17 games. They want parity. They want everybody to be... and. And the margins between a lot of these teams are really thin, especially when you're talking about who's going to finish second, who's going to finish third. You're like, you can't tell me you know right now, right? Some of these divisions have clear winners where we're like, nope. We're going to talk yeah. about one in the NFC where we were like, well, if Aaron Rodgers comes back, we both know who we're picking, right? That That's not changing. But, you know, tell me, are you sure that Minnesota and Chicago are going to finish in the order you think they are? Maybe they're going to flip like they can. And it's like that in every division as you go down, right? There's a reason that the team you're picking second or third could be the division winner. So, And, and that uh, speaking of those NFC divisions you mentioned where everything is just a complete shit show in terms of trying to pick it. Um, you and I were actually in agreement on three of the four and they were the ones that we recapped over summer which is the south both of us picking tampa for obvious reasons both of us picking green bay in the north for obvious reasons like at, at the time we had the caveat this was like before the aaron Rodgers thing worked out of like if aaron comes back they win aaron came back they're gonna win and then in the east we both pick washington because we love their defense on all three levels it's not just a defensive line team like they have linebackers they have dbs we love their weapons, although knock on wood, Curtis Samuel seems to have gotten hurt again today, but it's all right. I still have other guys. Uh, and, and, you know, Fitzmagic slash Fitztragic is uh, he's he's good enough that I think they're going to win the East. So we were in agreement on those. The one that we disagreed on happened to be the one division that we didn't actually pick during the uh, division review episodes, which was the NFC West. So for the first time, we'll both reveal our picks for that, which is mine being the San Francisco 49ers uh, and yours being the L.A. Rams. In terms of, you know, how big of a difference between these these two teams there are, I think you, you and I can both agree. It might be like two field goals over the course of a 17 week season that separates who wins the NFC West and who comes in third or even fourth, because it's not like Arizona and, and the Seahawks are bad teams either. Like this, this is the one division where you could tell me that all four of them win it by like one game. And I would believe you. it is virtually impossible to feel confident with your pick in the NFC West. But that being said, I do feel somewhat good about the Niners winning it because uh, I, I believe in their defensive talent. I believe in their coach. I believe in their offensive line. They've got ridiculous amounts of skill position talent. And at least based on the limited sample size that we've seen so far, I think this whole two quarterback system with Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance is actually going to work. 
So again, I know it's a very competitive division. The Rams are great. Seahawks are great. Cardinals are dangerous as all hell. But I'm a big believer in Kyle Shanahan. I'm a big believer in what I think they're going to do with these quarterbacks. And I'm a big believer in all of their skill position talent. Uh, it's a brutal division. Like, you could tell me the Seahawks win this division right now, and I'd be, like, a little surprised. But I mean, like, but not really. wa- a wafer-thin <laughs> surprised, right? Not, not really at all surprised. You could tell me the Rams win, and I could say, that's... Absolutely, and I can tell you why. You could tell me the Niners win, and I could be like, Shanahan worked his magic. It worked out. And again, loaded with talent. Not surprised by any of those results. You tell me Arizona wins the division. Okay, I'm I'm a wee bit more surprised than maybe I would be by any of the other teams. But I would not be shocked, right? Again, because I can draw you a path that Arizona wins. Because this division is going to kick the crap out of each other. Mm-hmm. on a weekly basis and if you think about it if you really are like so sure if you're an nfc west fan that's so sure that your team's gonna win the division think about just the division games right you're gonna beat shanahan twice if you're not a niners fan right nope <laughs> you might but it's much more likely you're gonna split are you gonna beat him once yeah you might get him right again that's the way this entire division is and it goes for every team it's the same if you're a rams fan you're like oh you're gonna you're gonna polish off the seahawks twice yeah maybe not you 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 could it's it's happened before right but uh, pretty solid team they last i checked russell wilson was still the quarterback so could he pip you with the lot again by a field goal by you know a defensive score you know, Quandre Diggs picks one off and runs it back. Like, that's going to be the difference in so many of these games. And it goes like that for all the division games. This division's just going to kick the hell out of each other. It kind of reminds me of the old NFC East, right? When mm. all the teams in the NFC East were good. That was a long time ago. But like early, early, mid-90s. And they NFC would just East, pound yeah. each other, right? And it was like a slugfest to see who would survive. And there's a little bit of that in the AFC North too, right? Pittsburgh's not giving anything up. Browns are good. Bengals, eh, maybe not so much, but the Ravens are right there. They're, every game in that division is a war. And, you know, whoever makes it to the end is you know deserving and certainly battle tested but predicting that at the beginning of the year and saying oh no this this team is going to clean house and has a clear path to a division title i don't think you could say that in the nfc west not with confidence what's interesting and we'll, we'll move to the nfc championship picks because i think this is a great segue um you actually have even though the rams win the division you actually have Niners versus Bucks in the NFC Championship, and I have Packers versus Bucks. We both think the Bucks are going to go, but we have a difference in opinion of who's actually going to face them. Is the reason why you have Niners versus Bucks is because you think towards the end of the season there's going to be more clarity on the quarterback situation and that that's going to push them over the edge? I don't even think it's the quarterback situation, but you're absolutely dead on in terms of by the end of the season – I feel really strongly that the Niners are going to be hitting their stride. They're going to have figured it out. And I don't just mean at the quarterback position or even just on offense. They're going to be figuring out the defense as well. And I feel like going into the back half of the season, San Francisco is absolutely a team you don't want to play. 
they are going to be a really tough out in the second half of the season. They are going to have some more clarity about both sides of the ball. Hopefully they're going to have some more clarity about the quarterback position. Maybe it's that they're going to continue to play two quarterbacks and they've got that down to a well-oiled system. That's a hard thing to prepare for. You and I were talking about that um, in terms of who starts on a given team and the fact that if you have to prepare for two very different skill sets or approaches, that's a lot of extra time in a week. Whereas if you go in and there's an entrenched starter and you've played that guy, you know, like San Francisco going to play Russell Wilson, right? They, they've played him a bunch. They know he's going to be the starter. They know what he's good at. They know what they need to do. They can't always stop him because he's a very talented football player. But there's no like, oh, we got to prep for this other guy that has a very different approach. That's going to be the thing. If Kyle Shanahan is able to keep some balance in the quarterbacking system, but regardless of whether or not he does, Kyle Shanahan... I have a lot of faith in him as a football coach. I think he's one of the smartest coaches in the league, and he's going to have that system dialed, and I don't think they're going to get gutted by injuries because they got absolutely gutted by injuries last year. I don't think that's going to repeat itself. Could they have some big injuries? Sure. Are they going to have as many as they did last year? I really doubt it. Like Statistically, that would be very odd. It'd unless, be really hard. Unless you're the Chargers, <laughs> right? Yeah. The Chargers seem to be able to do that on an annual basis, but they're going to regress to the mean a little bit in terms of injuries. They're going to have less, and that means they're going to have more weapons, and Shanahan's going to dial it in. He's a very good, adaptable coach, and it's going to be tough. They might start off a little bit slow, but they're going to finish fast. It- the one difference that I had in in my NFC Championship game picks, again, was having the Packers there instead of the Niners. And yes, you could argue for either one of them. I'm in total agreement. I think by like December, January, that's when we're going to see uh, the, the, the real quote unquote Niners. I think Trey Lance is going to be starting by then. There's it's so there's going to be a little bit more clarity at quarterback, maybe make them a little bit less predictable. If that's not even the right word, um, a little bit more overall dynamic on offense i think when he's starting over jimmy you know the two quarterback thing will work for now but i, I do think eventually it's going to be trey lance 100 of the time um I, i'm in love with their defensive personnel absolutely in love with it uh, i'm in love with their defensive line i'm in love with their offensive line depth like by december and by january as good as the niners were when they went to the super bowl a couple years ago i think they can be even more dynamic than that and that's saying a lot but that being said when you look at the Packers and you've got Aaron Rodgers Devontae Adams Aaron Jones you know you got Randall Cobb back uh who's you know Aaron's trusty slot receiver picked up Amari Rodgers who I think could be a, a dangerous returner jet sweep guy and also another slot option for them uh, by then, you'll let David Bakhtiari back. You got Elton Jenkins, who's, I think it's fair to say he's one of the top 10 overall offensive linemen in the entire league. Mr. So like that, everything. Mr. Everything. He plays tackle, guard, center, all at a Pro yeah. Bowl level. He's going to make an unbelievable amount of money. Um, like that offensive line, I, I think, is is really, really damn good when they're all healthy. And the defense under Joe Barry, again, the, the one matchup problem that Green Bay had against the Niners with Mike Patton was they would get caught in blitzes in the run game. They would get caught in stunts in the run game. Kyle Shanahan just had Mike Patton's number and would 
always punish the pressures that he would call because they, they would call these, you know, like they're playing the run on the way to the quarterbacks, kind of how they would do it, except instead of doing the old Tampa two way where you're rushing four and everybody's penetrating, it's more so we're just sending five or six guys to the line of scrimmage. And, you know, Kyle would would catch him in that and create a seam. And next thing you know, most most are going for like 75 yards. Joe Barry's defense, I think, is a little bit, you know, less aggressive in terms of bringing guys, but also more disciplined. You know, he's a he's a linebacker by trade, cut his teeth as a linebackers coach under Monty Kiffin, ironically enough. Um, and, you know, all the reports that we've been seeing out of Packers camp and Packers offseason is everything just looks more buttoned up, more disciplined. There's less mistakes. Um there's less guys kind of getting caught out of caught out of position. And that's the big thing for them is they just need to stop giving up big plays on defense and just hold people to, to getting a whole bunch of yards without a lot of points so that Aaron can do the rest. That was like the one weakness they had. And so I feel like Joe Barry's going to come in. And even if their defense isn't amazing, it'll be good enough that Aaron Rodgers, arguably the greatest quarterback of his generation, um, arguably that's the key word there that that he can do the rest and and you know carry them to the nfc championship game so again that's like the one difference that i have you could justify either one of these teams um but that being said you and i are in agreement that they're both playing the bucks and they're both losing to the bucks because how can you pick anybody but the bucks to win the nfc the bucks are really difficult we talked about this in our previous pod in terms of offensive player of the year defensive player of the year and mvp and we both had brady as sort of a a shoe-in for the three picks of mvp not necessarily as a shoe-in for the award but absolutely has to be in the conversation hyper competitive does not look like he's falling off physically which makes no sense whatsoever but again i'm done betting against that or waiting for it to happen it'll happen when it happens and not before they brought everybody back the coaching staff included and there's enough depth there that they could have some serious injuries now one to brady don't want it to happen not willing it to happen like that's probably the one they can't survive i'm not sure although all the glowing reports about how good blaine gabbard is that's a huge drop off right <laughs> yeah but it's still a loaded skill position roster right you got godwin antonio brown evans and gronk and plus three other tight ends behind gronk that could probably start on most teams you can survive like that is you know there's so much you, you can be a distributor in that system and still be wildly successful and their defense is crazy like it's not like you were just talking about the Packers defense look if it's even decent their defense is going to be better than decent their defense is going to force you to do some things you really don't want to do and make some mistakes and then you hand the ball back to that offense it's it's just both parts playing with each other um and off of each other and it's it's impossible for me to bet against that right now. The The only team that I put on the tier of Tampa Bay is Kansas City in terms of coach, quarterback, overall talent surrounding coach and quarterback. Like it's uh, 
it's it's very much like a like a Bama and Georgia where it's like college football. You got Bama, you got Georgia, you got everybody else, and, and that's that's Tampa and Kansas City to me. It's 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 a. I'm not saying it's a two two team league because the NFL is vastly different than college football, but boy, I find it difficult to to pick anybody else, and that's probably as good a transition as any to talk about our AFC championship picks because both you and I have the Chiefs going to the AFC Championship for obvious reasons. But again, we differ on who's going to be facing them. I'm picking the Browns. You're picking the Bills. I'll give you the floor. Tell me why you think the Bills are going to the AFC Championship game again. Comes down to Josh Allen for me. Uh, there's there's dynamism there. Um, and he can do it both ways, right? Baker Mayfield is good he's not as good as josh allen and it comes down to again a razor thin margin we are not talking about oh the bills absolutely blow the browns away blah blah blah. no they don't right but if you need one play and you need you know the quarterback to go through three reads and then go you know i bet i can get 12 yards when i need 11 for the first down i i would go with josh allen you know eight times out of ten over baker mayfield again not every time but you know, same thing. Weather's bad. You're playing outside. You need somebody to chuck the ball 45 yards on a line off one foot. I'm going to go like Baker's got a great arm. Let's again, we're not putting anybody down here or saying that, you know, they're not great. We're talking about people that are, have ascended to the championship game of the biggest league, you know, football league on the planet. It's a razor thin margin, but what Josh Allen can do and what Brian Dable can do Again, Kevin Stefanski showed us a ton last year, and we believe, like we are saying to Browns fans, we believe it was not a mirage. We think the Browns have sustained success for the first time in a while because they have that match of GM, coach, and and roster that are clicking. This comes down to thin margins, and it feels to me, and I'm going to talk about this when we get to the Super Bowl picks, that Buffalo has been grinding. Mm-hmm. Right, since since they changed regimes, Brandon Bean got there, and they had McDermott got there, and they sat down. It feels like they sat down at a table and said, "We're going to do this in year one. We're going to do this in year two. We're going to do this in year three. We're going to do this in year four. And by year five, we're going to win the Super Bowl." And they both looked at each other and kind of shook hands and went, "Yep." And they have. They have been like methodical in their growth right they had a lot of work to do when they took over it was not a a continually a a team that was competing for the championship every year they were they they just couldn't get over the the patriots hump right they have continually and they expected right we will assemble the right coaches we will pick that quarterback we will develop that quarterback we will do the same with some defensive talents and we will be peaking together right here at this point on the chart and that was kind of the end of last year and that was really i think the opening of their true window and i don't think their window is going to shut i i just don't oh, no. see yeah. a major like slide regression from buffalo i see this kind of continual we made it a little bit better we're grinding forward we're building off what we built before and they you know we know a little bit more we we learned our lessons about not winning that game against the chiefs we're going to bring a little bit more we're going to bring just enough to maybe tip the scales. It just feels like that in Buffalo. Like it is a, 
a very steady, sustained climb that is linear. We talk about progression not being linear for players. For Buffalo, it feels very linear, right? It's not up and down. It is slowly increasing. And I feel like last year was the opening of that window. And now they're just sort of playing with the dials and going, nope, we learned something and we're going to bring this. And we added this. And we've got just enough to get ourselves over the hump. There's only a a few teams really in the league that I think, because I I would say most teams when they're in a championship window, the championship window is like one or two years. For sure. There's a few teams in the league where their championship window, I think is legitimately three, four, five years. And in some cases, it's going to be as long as their quarterback plays, like Kansas City. Kansas City. (laughs) Um, And you could argue that Buffalo is the same. Where as they're getting long, there as long as it's Bean McDermott Allen as the triumvirate at the top, you're fine. Like their their window is those guys. Um, the Browns are a little bit different because I think shit's going to get real expensive real quick for them. <laughs> yeah, I they're do... going to have to pivot to their to their division mate strategy, the Ravens, yes. and start going for comp picks because there is too much talent on that roster to keep like you you just can't pay for it all there's not enough hometown discounts to fit everybody under the cap at least not in a couple years when 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 everything really starts because they paid a couple guys so far um but it's give it a couple years and it's like they're that's and that's the problem that's the good problem to have is they have so many good guys that it's literally impossible like i look at all the contracts that are coming up in the next two to three years it's not possible honestly Um, they're third stringers like in the secondary, their third stringers are worth 1.5 tier money. <laughs> right? Yeah. And you just can't like, that's not sustainable. You're just going to have to wave goodbye when some of them leave. And it, I'm, you know, it'll be tough, but look, Barry's shown that he can replace them. But when you got, when you have guys that are on second and third string that could legitimately start for a third of the teams in the league, you, you can't keep them all. <laughs> at least at least a couple positions like because they're well i don't think it's the case anymore but going into camp you know their their wide receiver five was donovan peoples jones who's great you know your yep. your tight end three is david Njoku, who Which you know maybe staggering. he wouldn't <laughs> but he wouldn't start on a lot of on, on most teams but he'd at least play a lot uh, he'd he'd start at the move on a lot of teams like he's better than a lot of teams move tight ends like but even then it's like the harrison bryant would start on a, on a bunch of teams in my opinion uh even as a second year player yeah, his look, tight, safety, tight end is their safety depth their corner depth uh, yeah like, it's it's legitimately it's gonna be so expensive <laughs> But that's why I have them go into the AFC Championship is because of how ungodly talented they are that I don't want to say they're injury-proof. No team is straight-up injury-proof. But people get hurt in the NFL. It is a next-man-up league, and they're one of the few teams that I think they're next-man-up for a majority of their position groups. There's not a whole lot of drop-off. Like, yeah, it'll hurt. If you have a backup tackle, like if Jed Wills go down, you have a backup tackle. It'll hurt, but you're not dead in the water. You know, they lost Wyatt Teller for a few games last year, and they were they were okay. You know, Nick Chubb went down. Good thing you got Kareem Hunt and Dearness Johnson. You know, Odell went down. 
got DPJ, still got Jarvis, got Higgins. You know, if if uh, if Hooper goes down, yeah. Bryant and Joku, like they're they're so deep that they they can outlast teams in the attrition game, and uh, people don't like to acknowledge this. The uh, acknowledge this, but uh, attrition is such a major factor in the NFL that it's it's all about health. It's about who your backups are just as much as who your starters are. And I think the Browns are just so damn deep at virtually every position that if the worst happens, they'll be okay and they'll make it. Yeah, I don't disagree. It's it's not a team, again, that I want to bet against. And I don't want to bet against them kind of right out of the gate. You might say, well, why didn't you pick them to go to the Super Bowl? Well, look... <laughs> There's there's 16 other teams in that conference that, you know, and there's some really good ones. And again, you get to the top and the differences are so fine. It's going to be about injuries. It's going to be about calls as much as people don't want to talk about that. Right. There are going to be some bad calls that cost teams games. There always are. There are going to be bad bounces. Right. There are going to be missed field goals at inopportune times, gusts of wind, whatever. The margin is razor thin at the top, and it's not that because I didn't pick them to go to the Super Bowl, I think the Browns are bad. I picked them outright to win the division, like without much hesitation. They're an excellent football team. And after that, you get in the play, like you need, uh, my other podcast co-host always says, you need a chip and a chair, right? You got to win your division. You got to get into the playoffs. You need a chip and a chair. Like get me in there and then see what happens. If you're peaking at the end of the season, you can you can make a roll. Now, before we get into our Super Bowl picks, which might be, in, in some cases, slightly different than maybe people think, uh, I do want to remind everybody that Underdog Fantasy has been an amazing sponsor for us all summer and all preseason long. They've, they've really helped this channel grow. Um, they've invested in us heavily because they like investing in you guys, our audience. They believe in you guys as well. Um, it's been a great partnership for us. And again, before week one kicks off, one more reminder. Again, if you want to use promo code Brett at underdogfantasy.com, that will get you $25 free to use on the platform for any contest you want. It can be the Best Ball Mania Tournament, which has $3.5 million in prizes. That is a $25 entry, so you basically get a free entry. It's a million dollars to first prize. You want to use it in any other leagues. You want to use it in a private draft with your friends, you know, pick whatever you want to do. You can use that $25 for free just using promo code BRETT at that link down in the description below. Uh, Underdog Fantasy is it's it's a fantastic fantasy platform, obviously. But they've also just been a fantastic supporter of bootleg and our growth and everything that we're trying to do here. So thank you again to Underdog for for sponsoring us all summer long. It's uh, it's been an amazing experience, and uh, I I really can't wait to keep working with them because uh, it's just Nick and Liz and all them fantastic company, and uh, I I thoroughly enjoy having them as our partner. But uh, with that being said, let's get into these Super Bowl picks. A little bit chalky. On one half, you and I both have the juggernaut that is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going to the Super Bowl representing the NFC. But we have different picks in terms of who's representing the AFC. I have the Chiefs. You have the Bills. Who is your pick out of Bills versus Bucks to win? And do you believe that the Bills are strong enough to unseat Tampa Bay? 
It's a good question. At the very beginning of the season, I think both teams will look different at the end of the season for all the reasons we've talked about going through this episode. There will be some attrition. Uh, there will be trends. There will be everybody's put your tape out. That's the thing about the Super Bowl is there's not a ton of surprises. You might have a player or two that's a wrinkle, but everybody knows what your defensive tendencies are. Everybody knows what your preferences are on third and long. Uh, it's more about execution. And it's a it's a pressure cooker, right? Every eye in the world, billions of viewers are, are paying attention and everybody in the NFL is is done at that point, except for these two teams. Everybody's watching. Everybody's critiquing everything you do. It's a very pressure-filled situation, and it's about players making plays. And sometimes, like last year, you just don't have the horses, right? Kansas City got there. Their offensive line was beat up. Mahomes' toe was uh, miraculously healed, if you believe that. He was still not 100%. Yeah, and you just Tor- sort of, is a hell of a drug, huh? You just <laughs> sort of ran short at the finish right it's not that you know again the idea of idealized perfectly healthy we had all our players we could have we could have beat them yeah but you didn't and that is the nfl right a couple of bounces bad weather a couple of injuries it all stacks up at the end of the year and then you get to this huge bright light pressure-filled situation and the bucks aren't gonna blink at that right they won it last year they understand they believe they know the guy they have under center knows how to win that game not just get them there but win that game and that's a thing right because most players i say most players most players don't get to a super bowl right ever in their career on average right some players get to one some players get to two if they're really lucky very few players win a Super Bowl. <laughs> Tom Brady is running out of fingers for rings. It's He knows how to get there. He knows how to win it. They believe he chose them, and they won it last year. Like, I think people think because that happened that, like, it was always going to happen. It doesn't work that way. Look back at the first four or five weeks of the Tampa Bay season. People were overreacting, right? Oh, it's not going to work. He's not getting it. He's not meshing with Arian's offense, blah, blah, blah. Well, sure enough, they leveled out. They hit their stride. And he said, I'm going to take you to the Super Bowl, and we're going to win it. And they did. That's hard to overcome, right? I don't care whether you're it's the Chiefs or the Bills or whoever's on the other side. Like, you got Tom Brady on the other side, the, the best quarterback of all time, probably the best football player of all time, saying, mm, yeah, you're going to take this game from me really with all this talent around me really you're gonna take this game for me i don't i don't fucking think so like it's not happening and if tom's healthy i don't again the bucks roster is pretty deep it's a it's not as deep as the browns but it's pretty darn deep and they can survive some attrition and tom wouldn't care anyways like you could have the fourth and fifth wide receivers starting for that team and he'd be like that's all right i'll throw him open like he he doesn't care he and made Aaron not... Dobson look passable. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, there's lots of examples like that. So it's I can't bet against the Bucks if Brady's there. If Brady's not there, all bets are off, right? But it would take a miracle to beat Brady with that deep Bucks roster if he gets there again, right? Could they stumble? Yeah, they could. That's That's the NFL, man. But if they get there and he's still healthy... I you won't find me 
placing a bet against Tom Brady at the Super Bowl with that team. No way. Well, you know who's pretty good at miracles is uh, Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. For sure. Who's my pick for Super Bowl winner. I think we're going to get a rematch of these two teams. And I think your point about, you know, the Super Bowl is a one-game season. It is a season within a season within a season because the playoffs in itself is its own beast. The Super Bowl, there's so much pressure. There's so much preparation. There's so much outside external forces that impact this one game that a lot of teams just aren't prepared for unless they've been there. And I think that's part of the reason why Tom has won so many Super Bowls. And obviously he's been to a lot of Super Bowls, but he's he's so used to that situation. Remember last year, he kicked his family out of the house for a couple weeks to get ready get for, out. for that Super Bowl. And But he knows what it takes. He knows what it takes to prepare. And, and that's part of the reason why why they won. And I think the Kansas City Chiefs have a lot of miracle workers that know what it takes to prepare, not just to play in the Super Bowl, but to play in a Super Bowl against Tom Brady. You know, Andy Reid has gone against Tom a lot in multiple Super Bowls. Uh, Patrick Mahomes has faced Tom in championship games and a Super Bowl now. Steve Spagnuolo has played against Tom in multiple Super Bowls and beat Tom, arguably with Tom's best team, in a Super Bowl. These are guys that are used to playing against the GOAT that knows how he thinks, how he prepares, and most importantly to me, they're not scared of him. That team is not scared of Tom Brady. They they relish the opportunity to play against Tom Brady on the biggest stages. I think a lot of the reason why teams would falter against the Patriots and now falter against the Bucs is, is when that man has the ball, teams blink. And the Chiefs are one of the few teams that don't blink. So I think when you factor in they have a championship culture, championship mentality, championship preparation, and their personnel got better, their offensive line is exponentially better, their defense especially their defensive line rotation is unbelievable. And you have Patrick Mahomes and you have Andy Reid and you have Spags and you have these weapons. I I really do believe that the Chiefs are going to get the rematch that we know they want. They want Tom. They're going to get him and they're going to beat him. I hope so. Uh, I hope we get that game. And I'm going to say something because, look, I'm not a Chiefs fan. I'm not a Bucks fan. I'm a football fan. And as a football fan, I hope we get that game. Because <laughs> that's going to be a kick-ass football game. And I hope the Chiefs are healthy. Like, I legitimately do. And, and honestly, this is going to sound weird. I bet Tom hopes so, too. Right? Oh, he wants all the smoke. He you know wants he all the smoke. He's like, don't say that I beat Kansas City because Mahomes was limping around. Don't say that I beat Kansas City because they didn't have an offensive line. He's like, bring them to me with a healthy offensive line and a good foot. Because he doesn't, you know, talk about blinking. He doesn't blink either, right? He is the, he is the stare down champion of the NFL. And I hope, I, I like legitimately hope, I know some people would be bored with it, like, oh, same two teams. Fine. Mm-hmm. Go away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, 
I want full strength Kansas City versus full strength Tampa Bay. Let's go. Like, I would take that tomorrow. Like, I don't want to skip the season. There's going to be a, a lot of cool storylines and a million special moments. There always are. I want full strength Kansas City versus full strength Tampa Bay for all the marbles. Like, it, I'd be hard pressed to come up with a matchup that's like, better than that maybe similar maybe cool storylines maybe players that have never been there always go- give me tom brady versus mahomes in a rematch with health i'll take it 10 times out of 10 right now like you can't wish for better than that it's two extremely talented teams two very talented coaching staffs like let's go stand out there toe-to-toe swing big and see who wins like that's the best goat versus baby goat it's all we want sure it's all we want. It's all we need. And by the way, you know that as soon as people started calling Mahomes baby goat a couple years ago when he got his first ring, he dedicated his fucking life to destroying him. He's like, oh, oh, you think he's going to be better than me? You think he's going to build a better legacy? Let me go beat him in this AFC championship game. Let me go to the NFC and beat him in a Super Bowl. Let him come back to me the next year. Beat him again. Like Tom wants Pat. Because he wants yeah. to bury him and secure his legacy. It's like, nah, oh, for sure. That that dude's different than me. Like, that's what he wants. He's he's that yeah. kind of psychopath. And that's why we love him. He's Tom that, Brady. That's why he's incredibly successful at what he does. And, you know, I think a lot of people don't pay attention to that or, or sort of don't want to know that in certain ways. And it's like you have to be the right kind of asshole. Right? <laughs> you do. Like, family, get out. Like, I have something to do, and it's very important. I'll see you in two weeks. I love you all, but you need to leave. And they were probably like, okay, Dad, <laughs> we're out. Like, we, when Dad gets that look, we leave, right? And it's not that Tom Brady hates his family. It's not that. He believes that he knows what he has to do, that this is required, and that there's one way to do it. He's he's proved that correct more than any other football player in history, so kind of got to listen to him, whether you're a coach teammate family member like tom knows what he's doing and he wants one thing you're absolutely correct he wants all the smoke he wants the legacy he wants to be he doesn't want to be good he doesn't want to be great he wants to be the greatest like without argument so you just and he already is but guys like him and somebody just posted uh all of uh montana's touchdowns through the playoffs I think it was 86, um, you know, all 11 touchdowns that he threw through the playoffs and the, and the Super Bowl. And, I, you know, the guy on the other end of a bunch of those was Jerry Rice, right? And the stat came out last week that, you know, uh, Julio Jones would need 10 more years of 1,000-yard seasons to catch Jerry Rice. Like, Jerry Rice is inarguably the greatest receiver of all time. There is no argument to that. Like, he is poop up above at a level that you can't even begin to fathom. And Tom's Tom wants that, right? He actually wants to look at Jerry Rice and go, yeah, you're second. Like, clearly you're second. And it's one yeah. of the greatest football players, if not the greatest football player of all time besides Tom. Tom wants to just dust him to the point where nobody even mentions him in the same breath, which is ridiculous. Oh, but by that's, the way. that's what Brady wants. Side note, but the athletic countdown of, like, greatest players of all time put jerry rice at three no jerry's not three i'm sorry J- i made brown, the argument i jim made brown the might argument. not even be the best running back 
Yeah, he's not the I, second best player. No, nah, I I didn't I didn't see the ranking, so I can't get upset about it, which I I think is good for my for my health. But uh, like, no, Jerry Rice is he's ridiculous. I made the argument that he could come back tomorrow and put up four hundred yards. I mean, maybe he's still in shape. He's still in great shape, and you think he couldn't out savvy a bunch of third cornerbacks, which is really who he was in in the lineup against. Uh, you know, even in his later years, he was eating those people on on savvy alone, right? I bet you like this sounds terrible, and I would never subject him to it. But Jerry Rice goes to the Detroit Lions. He's fifty. Oh no, oh, he's no. fifty whatever years old, right? <laughs> and you tell me Jerry Rice isn't going to put up four hundred yards in garbage time for the Lions? He prob- I mean, he probably is. Probably. And that's redonkulous. <laughs> like, that's ridiculous. But that's the, you know, and Jerry would probably be like, yeah, I'll try. Like, I'm already in shape. I could get in a little bit of shape and then, yeah, I'll try it. Like, still, still runs that hill, by the way, every I, day. I, these, you, I, this is the mindset that is different than 99.95% of all other NFL players that have ever played. Um, and Brady has it. Rice had it. They're they're just those guys that are like, I don't want to be good. I don't want to be great. I'm gonna be better than everybody, and I want to be so much better than everybody that you can't even make legitimate arguments without getting laughed at. So, it's different. God, I hope we get that game. I I hope we get it so much. Um, what do you say we get out of here, EJ? We we've done uh the Tampa versus Dallas recap. Um, God, I I. I I'm assuming Tampa won, but who knows? I guess we'll find out tomorrow. Time traveling. Uh, it's great. We've we've done that. We we talked about our division picks. We talked about our championship game picks. We talked about our Super Bowl picks. Uh it's it's been a hell of an offseason. I'm super excited to kick off actual meaningful football games. And EJ, you're gonna be down here in Vegas with me when that happens. So I'm I, I could not be more stoked. Uh I know that everybody listening to this, especially over an hour and 15, 20 minutes into it by now is, is also super excited. So thank you everybody for listening. Thank you for watching on YouTube, however you're consuming bootleg football. And uh, we will see you back here in uh, a few days. I'm assuming to talk about all the week one games and all the craziness that happens and all the, the, the random bullshit that tends to happen in week one. So uh, we will see you back here in a little bit. And until then, later. Take care. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 